Please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The theme of turning toward God or returning to God is not a particularly original idea for the season of Lent, but I think it's an idea that never goes out of style. One way to look at it is that all through life, we participate in a rhythm of turning away and turning back, turning away and turning back. We who call ourselves Christian hope to move through the world in ways that are in tune with what God would ask of us. But there are so many things that tug at us, so many things that can pull us off course. So we continually make course corrections. We continually return to God. I think this is the human condition, to be tempted by alternative paths, especially when the paths God calls us to can be truly challenging. So this piece of the human condition claims our attention in Lent when we seek to turn or return to God. There are all kinds of things that can pull us away from God, things that can turn our attention elsewhere, things that can distract us, things that preoccupy us, sometimes things that lead us astray. There are all kinds of answers to the question of what pulls us away from God. But there are just a few in particular that today's scripture points to. Every year on the first Sunday in Lent, we revisit the story of Jesus' time in the wilderness and the temptations he faced. Each temptation was a temptation to turn away from God. And what in particular were the temptations Jesus faced in the wilderness? I think every temptation Jesus faced was about vulnerability and power. You can use other words. Instead of a vulnerability, you might also say fears and flaws. Instead of power, you might also say certainty or comfort or security. But every temptation Jesus faced in the wilderness relates to these struggles. The devil seems to be asking Jesus to prove himself, as if Jesus should somehow fall for the idea that Jesus should prove himself to this adversary. Two times the devil says, if you are the son of God, the devil calls into question who Jesus is, taunting Jesus, trying to goad Jesus into proving himself. But Jesus has no need to prove himself to this adversary. When the devil shows up, Jesus is hungry because he has been fasting. The scripture says famished. He is very, very hungry. So the first test is simple, to feed himself, to produce bread from a stone. But Jesus responds by saying, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Jesus is quoting the scriptures he knew so well but his quote here is incomplete. 
The quote comes from Deuteronomy, and the full quote is, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The way the scriptures are scheduled for the Sundays in Lent this year, it almost seems to foreshadow a question we will hear from the prophet Isaiah in a couple of weeks. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jesus is grounded in the need to be satisfied by much more than bread. Jesus knows that to live is to be nourished by God's own presence, for one does not live by bread alone. Brene Brown has become well-known in recent years for her work on vulnerability and living wholeheartedly. She talks in a TED talk about how hard it is to stay with our vulnerable experiences, that rather than sit still and notice that we are sad or lonely or anxious, that instead of that, we would rather have a beer and a banana nut muffin and push those feelings aside. Perhaps Jesus is saying no, not only to bread, but to the beer and the banana nut muffin. Perhaps Jesus is saying that no matter what he hungers for, he is able to stay hungry if need be by staying rooted in God. Jesus' second temptation is about power, but a particular kind of power. The devil promises Jesus glory and authority over all the kingdoms of the world. But this is only one version of power. This is power in the way power has typically been exercised by worldly structures, the kingdoms the devil refers to. Kingdoms maintain their power through military might, and oppression. This is the kind of power that upholds unjust social structures. In rejecting this kind of power, Jesus is remaining deeply true to who he is and who God has created him to be. Jesus didn't arrive as a fully formed emissary from God. Jesus was born a human infant. That's about as powerless as a person can get. If there is anything more powerless than a baby, then perhaps it is a man on a cross, a man dying, killed by the ones who have power. Jesus always rejected power on the world's terms. The final temptation is also related. The devil tempts Jesus to show off his power and to show off God's special care for Jesus. It is an invitation to act like a superhero, a God-ordained superhero who can leap off tall buildings without getting a scratch. But if Jesus followed that path, he would be rejecting vulnerability. And by doing that, he would also lose his chance to be whole and to be fully human. Jesus embraced vulnerability as part of his human journey. Over and over again, Jesus chooses to be whole and to be vulnerable. This is not an easy choice. I don't know how easy or difficult it was for Jesus, but I know it's not easy for me. There are times when I long for things like right answers and clear direction, 
and success. But the life of Jesus and the season of Lent remind me that this is not the path God calls us to. God calls us to a path of being whole, wholly human. And this means accepting our vulnerability. Knowing that this is not easy, what gives us the strength to do this? I think a piece of the answer comes in seeing how Jesus did it. Jesus wasn't only able to face the temptations in this time in the wilderness, Jesus was also able to follow the path God set before him his whole life long. And how did he do that? Our scripture tells us today in so many ways that Jesus was deeply and firmly rooted in God. The opening lines of this passage say that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And the words go on to say that during this time in the wilderness, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Or other gospel versions make it sound more like the Spirit sent or even drove Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus followed where the Spirit led. And during each temptation, Jesus returns to God as he responds to that devil. Jesus roots himself in life-giving words of scripture, words from his Jewish tradition that help anchor him in God's ways and God's will. Words that remind him that it isn't only bread that we need in order to live, but we also need to hear God's voice Words that remind him that only God deserves our loyalty and service. Words that remind him to be deeply authentic in relationship to God, rather than treating God like a magician summoned at whim to perform tricks. Tricks like keeping Jesus safe when jumping off a building. Jesus was able to resist temptation because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was able to continually turn and return toward God because he was spirit-filled. Jesus was able to be authentic to his call and his path in life because he was spirit-filled. As a collective body, we, Davis United Methodist Church, have said that we are spirit-filled. And we have defined what this means to us. We believe that God loves us. And to us, being spirit-filled also means that we will be loving of others. We trust in God's grace. We are inspired to grow closer to God. We have said that as a church, we are spirit-filled. And part of why this is true is that we are a church made up of individuals who hope to be spirit-filled. Individuals who are loved by God, who trust God, who are inspired to grow closer to God. But whether as a collective body or whether as an individual traveling the Lenten journey toward Easter, being spirit-filled doesn't just happen. It isn't automatic. We need continual reinforcement of our connection to God repeated choices to turn toward God. 
We humans rely on constant reminders, even for what we think is most important to us. I read once that the average person is exposed to more than 5,000 ad or brand exposures in a day. And it's not just advertising that influences us, it's other things too, like the kinds of TV shows and movies that are produced, and even the political debates that are taking place. There are a whole lot of forces trying to influence how you spend your time and attention and energy and, of course, money. I see it when I log on to Facebook. I see it in, on billboards when I drive along the freeway. I see brand logos even in the one-mile drive to work, in my one-mile drive to work, and I am not even someone who watches TV. How can the Holy Spirit compete with that? I'm sure that there is no scripture passage that I have read or heard more times than I have seen a smiling person drinking Coke. I'm sure that I have not prayed as many times as I have seen the Starbucks logo. It's not the devil asking us to turn a stone to bread, but it is a whole lot of messages telling us that a whole lot of things are more important than our relationship to God. There is so much we can do to turn and return to God. And whether at church or at home or wherever, we can sing hymns, we can read scripture, we can pray, we can read books that nourish our spiritual lives. We can walk the labyrinth. The labyrinth is an especially fitting practice and image for this experience of turning and returning toward God. Turning toward God is not a once and for all event. Turning toward God always involves multiple twists and turns, but all the while trusting that the path eventually leads us toward that center, to that God who is the center of our lives. You can see that the labyrinth is part of our image for this turning toward God in this season. What if, for every advertisement we see or hear, we say a prayer? What if, for every catalog that arrives in the mail, we sing a hymn? What if, uh, the choir liked that best, I think. <laughs> what if, for every minute spent reading the newspaper, we allocate a minute spent to reading scripture or some other book that nourishes our spiritual life? What if for every political debate we watch, we attend a worship service, or maybe five? <laughs> what if for every route we travel peppered with billboards advertising things to us, we also travel the path of the labyrinth? If any season invites us to engage spiritual practices that keep us rooted in God, that keep us turning toward God, it is the season of Lent. Will you give the Holy Spirit a fighting chance in the battle against McDonald's and Coca-Cola? What will you do? I saw my spiritual director this past week and as I left, I said I hoped I would take time to write in my journal about what we had talked about and I haven't done it yet. So I know you might leave here today 
not making a commitment to any of these spiritual disciplines that might help you turn and return toward God. But on the other hand, you might, you could, and I think it would be worthwhile. There are so many ways to turn toward God. It is something we need to do repeatedly. So what prayers, what hikes, what time in silence, what reading of scripture will you do in this season? Amen.